0: Welcome to The Last Word, an original true life podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Faith. Before eternity transfers us to the next plane of existence, many humans wish to unburden themselves of closely guarded secrets. Following the death of a relative last year, I took a beat to assess my life, my views about death and what it all could mean. I came across this story, one of many, that inspired me to create this podcast. I was reminded that storytelling is unique to humans and sharing our experiences might be the most human thing we can do. I worked for a company where I saw many people in hospitals. I asked an elderly man why so many people near death were talkative. His answer became obvious to me after the fact. He said he was dying and realized what he would miss most of all in this world were the stories. It took me a while. I thought a lot about it and realized just how powerful that statement was. His story, my story, and humanity's story. That was posted by VivLab144. Internet message boards are brimming with anonymous posts of people's last words. Medical personnel, police officers, and family members share stories of tawdry affairs, illegitimate children, and heartbreaking accounts of those left behind to tend the wounds created by these disclosures. 19th century composer Gustav Miller lay in his bed conducting an imaginary orchestra, his devoted wife at his side With his last breath, he cried, "'Mozart! Mozart!' Trivial, perhaps, but it got the ball rolling on an idea. What is the significance of a person's last words?' Last summer, I heard a podcast that addressed a rumor that Mozart was poisoned by his rival, Antonio Salieri. In his declining years, Salieri confessed he had murdered Mozart, This was followed by a failed suicide attempt. Later, Salieri referred to his confession as a rumor started by his enemies. The story sparked a question. If Salieri had not murdered Mozart, why did he confess to it and then attempt suicide? Compromised health and mental status or misplaced guilt for a professional rivalry pushed to the edge? Both seem plausible. Could confessing to the murder of a celebrated composer be less about wiping the slate and more about a final ploy at fame or infamy? Imagine for a moment that Mozart had died in the 1990s and Salieri had made his confession on a 21st century deathbed. In the U.S., a deathbed confession or declaration can be admitted as evidence in court and be used to reopen cold cases because it is presumed that a dying person is likely to speak the truth. It is a curiosity that some people have chosen to die with a lie on their lips. Just before she died at age 47, after years of battling addictions and health issues, famed French singer, songwriter, and actress Edith Piaf, known for La Vie en Rose and the anthem Non Je Ne rien, which means No, I Regret Nothing, said, Every damn full thing you do in this life you pay for. Mexican revolutionary General Pancho Villa was assassinated in 1923. His famed last words were, Don't let it end like this. Tell them I said something. However, after being struck in the head and chest with big-game ammunition, it is unlikely he'll long enough to say anything. In this episode, I will attempt to answer two basic questions. What happens to a confession that is given when death seems imminent, but the person survives? How do deathbed confessions impact those left behind? Here are two cases of confessions made by people who believed death was imminent but survived to face the consequences of their admissions. Tell me what you think of the first case. September 4th, 2010, Effingham, England. Tony Wakeford was losing his battle with Parkinson's disease. He knew the end was near and phoned his wife, Patricia. She listened as the love of her life confessed to having had an affair with her best friend, Penny DeSalis. Tony hung up the phone, believing those were the last words he would speak to his wife. Boy, was he wrong. Tony survived for several more years. Fragile, he was released into the care of his wife, Patricia. Imagine life at the Wakeford residence following the fateful phone confession. This revelation had a devastating effect on Mrs. Wakeford. She would want to know all the details and would question Mr. Wakeford. She became distressed and violent, both verbally and physically. There were episodes of anger directed towards her husband, often accompanied by binge drinking. Time had not healed Patricia's wounds. She found it impossible to accept that her childhood sweetheart had cheated on her with her best friend. The man who had broken her heart was endlessly dying and utterly dependent on her. She said it was a song on the radio that inspired her to pick the fight. Does anyone else wonder what song it was? In a vengeful rage, Patricia stabbed Tony multiple times all over his body. Patricia could be heard screaming, I hate you, I hate you for 10 minutes. She was found not guilty of murder but guilty of manslaughter by an unlawful act. She received a 582 day sentence. Having already spent 291 days in prison, she was released for time served. Maybe the most dignified last words are selfless ones. The next case involves the deathbed confession of James Brewer. Following a second massive stroke in 2009, Brewer knew he was dying. He requested a visit from police. Brewer may not have realized that he was implicating his wife, Dorothy, as an accessory after the fact when he confessed to shooting a man in 1977. The motive? Lovesick revenge. Brewer believed his wife, Dorothy, had been seduced by their neighbor, James Carroll. An account of the murder was published by the Oklahoman. About 4 p.m. on April 27, 1977, James and Dorothy Brewer pulled up in front of a service station in Hohenwald, Tennessee. Carol was inside the store waiting for his mother to pick him up, Bowie said. Carol learned Brewer wanted to talk to him, but friends warned the man as he approached Brewer's vehicle. Carol was shot twice, once in the abdomen, once below the left shoulder, with a handgun. After the shooting, Carol walked back into the store, fell down, and died at the scene, Puey said. He left him lying in a pool of blood, said Kilpatrick, the Lewis County, Tennessee sheriff. Living in Shawnee, Oklahoma, as Michael and Dorothy Anderson, several states between them and the scene of the crime, they became active members of their church and community. Their next-door neighbor described them as a nice, loving couple and was shocked to learn of their dark past. An article published by The Oklahoman featured heartfelt words from Reverend Lawrence Guest, the pastor of the Brewer's Church. They raised a daughter, babysat grandchildren, but didn't have much of a life outside of that. They've been in their own prison for the last 30 years. I think they've done their time. Jimmy Carroll's family disagrees. Brewer's return has triggered painful memories for the victim's family. They hold Brewer responsible for the murder and say he deserves no sympathy. They see his soul-cleansing confession and returned to face charges as a second chance for justice. I never thought this day would come, Carol's sister said. Sheriff Kilpatrick said that some of the case information from 1977 has been lost to time, including murder charges against Dorothy and whether or not she was at the scene of Carol's murder. The victim's sister, Judy and Brenda Bowie, appeared in the article about the case, holding a picture of their brother, Jimmy. They spoke of alleged rumors that James wanted to kill Jimmy, who did not take the threat seriously. Brenda located an old newspaper archive and arrest records. Of Dolly, she said, that's a nickname for his wife, Dorothy. They drove up together at the station and they went there with the intention of killing him. She needs to face charges too. Brenda Bowie told the Oklahoman, that the Brewer couple showed no remorse at the hearing, nor did they attempt to speak to the Carroll family. When he died, Jimmy Carroll was the divorced father of twin five-year-old sons. Brenda said that her nephews barely remember their father. Brewer's health began to improve. He and Dorothy returned to Tennessee to face charges March 30, 2009. James Brewer's bond was set at $150,000. His attorney doubted the family could raise the funds. Brewer, still recovering from his second stroke, was equipped with a feeding tube. Court records indicated a trial date had been set for Brewer's murder case, but was postponed until November 29th after an order was filed for a mental health evaluation, a court clerk said. In 2010, Dorothy was formally charged as an accessory to murder after the fact. Her warrant stated that she knew her husband was charged with murder and provided aid in the avoidance of arrest, trial, conviction, and punishment of James Brewer by leaving the state of Tennessee. The final outcome of the case has proven difficult to locate. It is possible there was no trial considering Brewer's poor health. March 13, 2017, just before the 40th anniversary of Jimmy Carroll's murder, the confessed killer died peacefully in his home. Did he have any last words this time? Did he regret that his confession implicated his wife, who allegedly tried to stop him in the middle of his confession to detectives? Did he feel remorse for taking the life of a young father? Jimmy Carroll's twin boys grew up without their father while the Brewers started a new life in rural Oklahoma, free to raise their own child under assumed identities. Should the Brewers be shown leniency for their self-imposed exile? I would love to hear what you think. Have a little snack before you go. Here are a few more interesting accounts of last words. Posted by Deleted, ER resident here. Guy came in with internal bleeding from blunt force trauma and looked at us and said, be excellent to each other. There is a popular thread concerning an unknown man's final words. He confessed to his wife that in the last 30 years, he had not loved her. Posted by Commercial Pilot, my great-grandmother went to bed one evening and didn't wake up for five days. When she awoke, she lifted her head, looked at her husband of 70 years and said softly, I've loved you for 70 years now and I would do it all over again. When asked if he had any final words, Karl Marx shouted, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Do you have a deathbed confession story or profound last words to share? I'd love to hear your thoughts and I look forward to sharing them in future episodes.